Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even in this market, this beast of a market, you do get the occasional buying opportunity. It does exist. Buy, buy, buy. But the window closes so fast that if you blink, you'll miss it. Still, if you're ready to pass, you can pick up some high-quality stocks at discounted prices. Witness this morning when the Dow briefly went into the red before rebounding to close up 143 points. S&P gaining 8.81%. NASDAQ advanced 0.98%. And you had it in your grasp. You had it in your grasp when the market opened. Yet markets don't go up in a straight line. And even with the best bull in ages, you still get some dips, but it's frustrating. For instance, there were virtually no dips whatsoever in the stock of Netflix as analysts after analysts raised projections and projections. And yet then Netflix crushed them all this evening and denied everybody a chance to get in, except for the bold people who intraday dipped and bought. There are many other visible opportunities where the window opens. and You've got to jump and jump quickly or forever hold your peace, provided you've done the homework. Why don't we start with the obvious one, which is the brief government shutdown? Do you know that this is the kind of event that used to kneecap the stock market because investors hate uncertainty? Will benefits be paid? Will rebate checks be late? Will the fits and starts crush business confidence, particularly small business? Doesn't a postponement to Feb 8 just mean we're going to be worrying a lot more over the next few weeks? Now, uh, nobody would think it's good for business when the government turns the lights off. But this was not some debt ceiling fiasco where the U.S. was in danger of defaulting on its obligations. So the market opens lower today. Why? Investors digesting the news, trying to figure out the implications, which, of course, are negative. And that was your first chance, because as sad and as pathetic as it is that Washington balks at paying for the military or for the uh, children's health insurance, the shutdown simply couldn't be related to stocks. It was as if an irrelevant government had nothing to do with the real economy and the stock market that tracks it. I know I struggled to find anything that was linked to what they do down there. Historically, if we have a delay in tax refund checks from the IRS, it would cause weak year-over-year comparisons for the dollar store chains, the auto parts retailers, anything where consumers will have to postpone their spending. That's been the pattern. But if you had a chance to pick those stocks up into weakness today because it was the pattern, you had to take it. It wasn't much of one, of course. They've had an area break in their rallies as the dollar stores have been able to beat Amazon on price. And the auto parts chains are doing incredibly well, thanks to the harsh winter, at least compared to last year. In other words, the shutdown gave you that brief window, that brief chance to buy the stocks of companies that could be hurt only temporarily. By the end of the day, 
shut down. Over. But if it happens again, which you know it will because they're a bunch of clowns, when we reach the deadline of February 8th, you'll have your map, your Google map about what to do. We're, uh, what, where else have uh, we gotten some undeserved price breaks that you had to act on? All right, get this. This is just here's a classic story about how moronic people can be. I'm talking about Schlumberger. Schlumberger, the gigantic oil service company. This one's a crazy example of brutal inefficiency. Stop listening to those professors. You think they know what they're doing. They're not in the arena. Let me set the stage. The stock of Schlumberger had been on a tear of late, rising from $67 to $78 as the price of oil climbed out of that 50s into the 60s. Okay, that's a big move. We know that Schlumberger's terrific management called the top in oil a few years ago, and then last quarter they nailed the bottom. How right could you be? Then, though, the company reported on Friday morning, and it was immediately met with selling because it wasn't the upside surprise some people were looking for. Although I don't know who some are because Schlumberger doesn't miss and it doesn't shoot the lights out. It's not its style. It's got a tremendous handle on its long-term business. It's really good at forecasting. It knows what it's doing. So Friday morning, the stock's plummeting in pre-market trading, right? To make matters worse, Schlumberger CEO, the revered pal Kibsgard, said next quarter will be a tough one. Wow. So the stock got hit again. They were down there giving the stock the business. Hair trigger traders. But what did it give you? A chance to buy the stock of Schlumberger down two bucks as the morons bailed on the headlines. Chowderheads. But then seemingly out of nowhere, Kibsgard tells us the second and third quarters should be very, very strong for a variety of reasons. House of pleasure. The big national state oil companies are going to have to boost their drilling budgets. Latin America's robust. The company bought a huge amount of horsepower from the bleaker Weatherford that it needs to satisfy its domestic clients. The selling stops. The stock pirouettes. And it actually finishes up a couple of cents on Friday. And then what happens today? Halburn, a major oil service competitor, crushes the number. And Somerset's stock tax on another three additional points. You blink, you missed the whole darn thing. What else? All right, get this. Well, there's another one I came at you. I, 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 I mean, like, I did everything. Yes! I'm talking Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, when reported last week, its stock was slaughtered on what was perceived. Notice I say perceived, not actually perceived to be a weak quarter. But as someone who worked there, I was astounded at how well its business has held up, despite not having a huge deposit base to fall back on and not a lot of volatility. Yeah, not enough volatility in the markets for Goldman's trading division to earn its keep. But! This business is all about reinventing yourself, and people don't understand what Goldman Sachs can do. I saw Goldman literally reinvent itself when I worked there on the fly in the mid-'80s when the municipal bond market started going bad and had been a monster profit generator, and then, boom, fell on hard times. Same with real estate. Boom, fell on hard times. You know what happened? The company just put other divisions into overdrive and invented new products and beat the numbers and beat the numbers and beat the numbers, and it was private then. I bet this time will be no different even though it's public. The rest of Goldman's businesses are on fire, so it's not like they even need to do that much reinventing. Yet, the stock sells for less than 11 times earnings. It's the cheapest I've ever seen it on a price-to-earnings basis, certainly versus its cohort. My advice last week was that you should wait two days after the quarter was announced as the insiders always depress the stock with a traditional selling as the window opens, and then you had to buy. Now the window's closed. Boom. 
It's off to the races, up more than five bucks. Took out its high and it reached before the so-called bad quarterly report. I think it's possible that Goldman could apply its amazing trading abilities to the non-criminal side of, yeah, there is one, of cryptocurrencies. And if that happens, you're going to miss a 10-point move like that. Actually, it could be much bigger than that. But even without any catalyst, Goldman Sachs' stock is too, it's just too cheap to ignore. For months, I've been waiting for the eSports Overwatch League from the world's largest video game maker, Activision Blizzard, to be activated. But the once-hot stock spent months in the wilderness, vacillating in the low 60s. Many investors gave up. Now the league is up and running, and while it may not be immediately added to the numbers... The business is on fire anyway. I can't tell you how many bulletins we issued to ActionAlertsPlus.com club members just to explain the power of this Overwatch League. It's finally happening, and they're finally listening, and it's coming together. Activision Blizzard stock ready for its next leg hire. Finally, not that long ago, we got some numbers out of Cal, the Chinese gambling paradise, and they seem less robust than we were hoping for. Plus, we had to endure endless stories about how the People's Republic was somehow like cracking down on ATMs within the casinos. Wow. I came out here and stressed that the high roller casinos in Macau were doing just fine and that you should buy Wynn Resorts. Then today, the company reports some magnificent numbers. And CEO Steve Wynn talks about, guess what? He needs more capacity because of the VIP gamblers that are flocking to his mecca. If you listen to me, you caught a nearly $30 gain in uh, 10 days. And you know what? It's not done. I think it's got more room to run. The analysts will all have to raise their numbers tomorrow. They will be lemmings. They are surprised. They will take the stock up, even as it was obvious to anyone who watches this show. We should be paid by them. That said, the window where you could have gotten wind stock for an absurd discount is now closed. It's tough to chase up 15 bucks unless it's a Netflix. Is it always this easy, some might ask? This easy. Honestly, it's not easy at all. This is a market where you aren't getting big buys on weakness. Remember all those dips, buy on dips? We're not getting a market dip. You're getting moments, moments where certain stocks are weaker than they should be. We should Instagram the moments. That's what you need to concentrate on. And if you're going to be prepared, you need to do the homework and refuse to get freaked out when a high-quality stock dips slower for not-so-quality reasons. Bottom line. Finding bargains in this beast of a bull market is a real and rigorous high wire act where the wire is thin. There's no net and you only have a few seconds to think. But if you're prepared ahead of time, you can profit from these intraday pullbacks and you can rack up some terrific wins. I'm going to Steve in Connecticut. Steve. Hey, Jim. You had the, um, the chairman of Tellurian on a few days ago, yeah. and he's very impressive. He, he was very impressive. Sharif Suki, remember, he takes a long-term view. You had to be really long-term. I know some of my friends were saying, Jim, come on, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not, but go ahead. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, the long-term, that, it's going to take time to build that infrastructure that he's talking about. Exactly. And if, if I understood him correctly, he said that the price of natural gas on the U.S. futures market is – it's actually slightly more than double what it is in other parts of the country. And they're going to build, build the infrastructure, the transportation infrastructure, to bridge that gap. The right. difference is because there's no well, what, what he's so saying, I'm, just so we know, Steve, what he's saying is that natural gas is being burned off. At least he's going to find a use for it. And that's why that stock can go higher, because he's got the cheapest fuel and he's going to export it all around the world. Okay, the window of opportunity in the beast market so brief that if you blink, you missed it. That's why staying prepared is key. 
I'll help you out. Man, tonight, I'm revealing the three best sectors that have helped lift the stock market. Then I'll clue you in to the surprising winners on the averages that investors are chasing. Plus, the man, the myth, the shark. Tonight, Damon John from Shark Tank, a hero, is lending his entrepreneurial eye to help spot the market's next hot trends. So come on in. The water's fine. And stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you have a beast mode market like this one, we've seen it now for eight months, you have to recognize that there's been a gigantic sea change in what investors want from the stock market. What am I talking about? We have a whole different group of leaders that have emerged. In other words, what's been working now is very different from what was working even a year ago. Now, sure, you can't take anything away from Fang. I mean, look what Netflix is doing tonight. I, though, am going beyond Fang here into the bowels of this market to find out what's really going on underneath. And we're going to do it with a little help from the charts. Because this is the kind of story where a picture is indeed worth a thousand words. So tonight we're going chart by chart, examining the winning groups in this new era to show you the true magnitude of this amazing transformation that I think most people are missing. But we're going to start, though, first by giving you a 30,000-foot look, and then we'll drill down to what I think is driving the stock market here. We're going to go sector by sector and then stock by stock. First, the part of this sea change that's most stark It's frankly the incredible resurgence of a group that hasn't led this market for years. I'm talking about the financials. The financials as a leadership group. For ages, investors shied away from the banks. They only wanted to own faux, F-A-U-X, faux financials, like the financial technology stocks called fintech. Why? Primarily because long-term and short-term interest rates were so low that you may hate the banks, but they couldn't get the margins they needed on their loans or on your deposits. They didn't make enough money. Even when the Federal Reserve started raising short-term interest rates, longer-term rates stayed low, thanks to pressure from insanely low rates overseas. So investors who needed financial exposure gravitated toward the payment processors, the insurance companies. They're far less dependent on the Fed funds rate. The payment processors were so easy to justify. Look at the gains in Visa and MasterCard. And, and, And they were all about consistent growth in an inconsistent sector combined with a real scarcity factor and no headline risk. Other than those two, MasterCard and Visa, along with Discover, wow, PayPal, you know, one of our favorites, and a bunch of financial tech facilitators. Yeah, you think about Moody, Standard Poor's, Morningstar. It was simply too risky to go deep into the actual deposit institutions. As long as the bank's net interest margins, that's the difference between what they pay you for deposits and what they charge you for your loans, stayed low. There was no reason to embrace either the big banks or the regionals, for that matter, despite the massive consolidation that's occurred. Do you know what, though? All of that has changed. All of it. All of it. When we got a new consensus from the Fed last summer that the tightening cycle is on and on for good because the health of the economy was no longer an issue. It's obvious from the strength in the bank stocks now, at least for the moment, let's say, that investors embrace higher rates. 
I say for the moment because that always won't be the case, but they, they embrace them rather than fear them. I think that's the way to put it, despite the endless chatter that rate hikes could spark a recession. And not anytime soon. They won't. That's what the stocks are telling you. Hey, by the way, you want further confirmation? The fact that the housing stocks haven't rolled over yet, at least, well, from what we can tell, they, they plateaued last week, shows you that we're still just beginning to get an economy that's robust enough to generate meaningful loan growth. Can you imagine after all these years? It's finally happening, a decade. Meanwhile, deregulation from Washington is giving the whole financial group a major boost. I believe the bank managements are starting to take risks right as loan demand is returning in many areas, especially consumer and small business loans, And by the way, particularly in the Southeast, what's still lacking, it's hard to believe 10 years later, we still have weaker construction and industrial loan growth than I would have expected. But you know what? The stocks are saying that's about to change, change for the better. There's another factor that's bolstering the financials, and that's the lack of stock supply in the group. Lack of stock supply. The bank stock shortage has become palpable. Remember when they issued all that common? They issued all the common stock? Wait a second. All of these companies have stepped up their buybacks to try to retrieve all that stock that the government forced them to do, to issue. I can't stress the importance of these buybacks because the banks are just getting back to where they were before the Bush and Obama administrations forced that ton of equity during the Great Recession. In fact, the banks are now overcapitalized, and they've got a much larger share of the lending pie than would have been permissible 10 years ago, especially the big dogs, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citigroup. All but Wells now now behave like growth stocks, and Wells is joining that. What a change. And may I just add that the founding fathers would be so furious about the consolidation in nation banking. It was always supposed to be region by region. But because of the Great Recession, they allowed Bank of America. They allowed J.P. Morgan. They allowed Wells. That was incredible. You'll never see that again. That's why those stocks keep going higher. They're cheap growth stocks. Second leadership group, broader technology. For years, one of the hallmarks of tech was that we only ever got a few winners. And you always heard about it. And you know what they were? Because we named it on the show. It was Fang. Yeah, we named it on the show, and I got to tell you, it was because we, sat, we found an intense scarcity of rapidly growing tech names. And Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, which was, of course, then Google, and the much smaller Netflix had fast and reliable growth. That's, that's uh, not changed at all, as we see from the spectacular Netflix numbers this evening. It's no longer a small stock either. Of course, Apple's been a winner for ages. We know that. That's not a surprise, okay? But as it keeps climbing, I don't see it as a tech stock. I see it as a consumer products company. This change in perspective is being spearheaded by none other than Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, and it would be a mistake to underestimate what's going on here. While the Oracle of Omaha was indeed wrong about a true tech stock, which was IBM, he's proving prescient about this consumer product company. This thing had always been a trading stock. Witness how Carl Icahn destroyed it. When he came with Scott Wapner's show, he fretted about Apple's China business. Remember that? What was that, about 80 points ago? It's okay, not everybody gets it right. And he made money anyway. But Buffett has spun a new narrative about how Apple's like a faster-growing version of Procter & Gamble with a terrific recognition of the company's razor, razor blade app business model, something they still don't get enough credit for. I think that's because Apple itself seems to have backed into that service stream, which is odd because that would be like Gillette stumbling upon the razor blade business by accident and not just offering razors. Hey, it's good to be lucky, okay? But most... Apple Shave Club. Wouldn't that be something? I get that dollar shave. I don't even pay for it anymore. It keeps coming. I've got like razors up this high. But anyway, most of the analysts still can't get their arms about what's happening here. We caught just another downgrade today. Of course, it was because the cycle, the cycle, the cycle, the cycle. It's endless. 
I say own it, don't trade it. It's the cheapest consumer product story I follow. But back to tech, tech as a whole. Something big has changed here, and it's not getting the recognition. Suddenly, we have a whole host of winners beyond FANG, in some cases better than FANG. Why? It's the Internet of Things, IoT. It's taken over. It's given the rest of the group a new growth trajectory that's far more secular and cyclical, meaning long-term rather than boom and bust. The strength has transcended the cell phone, even breathing new life into the personal computer of all things. Yes, these are hot, hot, hot. They do cool things, too. I got to tell you, I feel like Brady. Oh, no, I want to beat Brady. Never mind. Okay, with the rise of the Internet of Things, not to mention the ascendancy of the data center, thanks to a new cloud-based software model, as well as the connected car, the connected home, the whole tech sector has been roaring. I like to use the shorthand of stocks. And if you want to describe tech, you've got three cohorts. Take them down. You got the Texas Instruments, TXN, Analog Devices, ADI, NVIDIA, my dog, group of Internet things, okay? Then you've got the Adobe, Amazon, VMware, Microsoft group for the cloud. And then there's the Qualcomm, Xilinx, Broadcom, although Broadcom's killing itself with its Qualcomm bid for communications. All three are on fire. Witness Adobe's pre-announcement of better-than-expected numbers this very evening which is why so many companies need to buy product, particularly, say, from semiconductor equipment companies. I'm talking about Lamb Research. They report at the end of the week. I think it's going to be monstrous. And, of course, supply materials, one of our face. Meanwhile, tech companies that help businesses go digital, gigantic winners. And they are never talked about. Workday, service, other than our show, and we put Workday and ServiceNow on. I'm telling you, these are real companies. So is Accenture, which we have liked forever. Why do people not like Accenture? I think when you put in ACN, it always does that. Spell check sends it back to CAN. Can. I say Accenture can go to 200. This is where IBM needs to force itself to be more relevant. Something Cisco has already done so well. Chuck Robbins in Davos. We'll hear from him. And I can't leave out cybersecurity where Fortinet and Proofpoint are winners. And they seem to have plenty more room to run. Third, you've got the surprising strength in healthcare. Yes, we have to go over this stuff because it's not being talked about. From the drugs to the drug distributors to the hospitals, the insurers, the medical device makers, the life science place. This is all about a peculiar backlash from Washington. After the Republicans took over the White House and Congress, we figured they would be hell-bent on making this sector smaller, less lucrative because a lot of it relies on the government. But when the GOP failed to obliterate Obamacare last year, investors rushed back into a sector that many people had shorted, and the hedge funds had their heads spun, not unlike Reagan in a movie that I still like. Normally, in a boomy economy, the healthcare stocks would fall by the wayside. Instead, it's the exorcist. The exact opposite has been happening. We've seen a remarkable resurgence in the formerly despised drug distributors. Think about these stocks that were so heavily shorted. McKesson, Amerisource Bergen, even Cardinal Health. They were getting killed. Just not even that long ago. Now they're back. I think it's worth pointing out that the drug stocks themselves are not the leaders. Only the twins of AbbVie and Abbott seem to really inspire investors. J&J, we're going to get the quarter from them. They lead the Stodger, big pharma companies. The life sciences and medical device players are working. Not today. Danaher, Thermo Fisher, Illumina. And they really stand out as kind of an odd leadership group. By the way, BioAdvertive, that uh, spinoff of Biogen, got a bid today. There you go. Biotechs are underrepresented, though, with the exception of Amgen which has a voracious buyback. Generics, comeback kids. By the way, Kramer Fave United Health is the obvious winner and a must-buy name in the group. And, of course, it's in Minneapolis. Here's the bottom line. When you look at what's working here, the top three leaders are the banks, 
the techs, and the healthcare names, which is really an oddball combination that speaks to the incredible breadth and strength of what is working. You stick around after the break, and I'm going to go over the other winners that you need to know because it explains why this market is so fabulous. Much more mad money ahead. Even after this remarkable run, I think people continue to underestimate just how much the coloration of this market has changed. Now, I just told you about how things have shifted in the three biggest leadership groups, and that's the financials, the techs, and the healthcare's. Oh, but that's not the whole story, or else we wouldn't have a remarkable advance like we're having. The rest of the winners in this market are complete surprises that investors, frankly, are frankly still trying to get their heads around, which means they could go higher. First are the retailers. For years, the assumption was that nearly everything in retail was dead meat. The only merchant that mattered was Amazon, the so-called Death Star, destroying everything in its path as part of its never-ending quest for market share. We all figured this would become a zero-sum situation, but that has totally changed since the holidays. With a whole group coming back into style, aside from maybe Sears, perhaps JCPenney, well, do you know that even the latter's turning into a decent spec? Oh, Amazon's still king, but dilly-dilly, the pit of misery is almost empty. What the heck happened here? For starters, consumer spending has become so robust, twice the pace of last year, according to my sources at Bank of America, that there's finally enough business to go around off and online. On top of that, the remaining retailers have figured out strategies to fend off Amazon with BOPUS, that's buy online, pick up in the store. Could you guys come up with a better acronym? And e-commerce initiatives that are getting, where they get a lot of help from, well, think of it. From Salesforce, we hear Mark Benioff talk about it all the time. From Adobe, huge pre-announcement up tonight. And the big data consultants, like two that we've had on, Splunk and Tableau Software. These two factors have taken the pressure off. Meanwhile, mall inventories are now lean and retail balance sheets are no longer stressed. That's how you get this kind of resurgence in a Target, in a Kohl's, the latter being insane. How about that interview last week? Wow. And, of course, we have to mention Walmart's continued ascendance. There's been a tremendous shrinkage in stock supply here, too. Part of the stock shortage story I keep harping on that I'm never going to stop because it is part and parcel with this rally. Plus, the impact of e-commerce is incredibly powerful in the freight forwarding businesses led by FedEx and United Parcel. You are not going to go wrong in those secular growth stories. The second line of retail that's on fire is anything related to home improvement. As people continue to invest in their houses, go down the aisles of Lowe's, of Home Depot. Everything you see is working. Stanley Black & Decker down today. That's one of those opportunities. Anything kitchen, anything bath, anything paint. Did you hear PPG about housing, paint? Sherwin-Williams works. I wish they'd split the stock four ways. The hurricanes gave them a nice boost. I like this trend more than anything else. and explains the fabulous resurgence of BBY, Best Buy, which other than Kohl's and Amazon itself is one of the hottest stocks in the group. I wish people would stop denigrating it. Best Buy is an obvious winner, not a loser. Oh, and this evening, thank you, Mr. President, for spiking the stock of Whirlpool with tariffs on those who dump washing machines that have almost wrecked that story company's business. I think it's too early to crown individual leaders within retail outside of home goods. But I've got to tell you, Walmart, Burlington Stores, Dollar Tree, Dollar General, they stand out because they can beat Amazon on price. I'm going to throw in Costco and you may have all you need. Oddly, with thin inventories and a non-promotional, whoever heard that term, it's been years, a non-promotional background at the retail, a power place, PFH, VF Corp. Hold your nose. Michael Kors seems unstoppable. 
Meanwhile, the consumer strength is spreading to the experiential economy, including the travel and leisure plays. I'm talking airlines, but also casinos and hotels. We've got shortages all over the place here, both in terms of investing opportunities and the sheer quantity of stock that's already been bought back. Did you see that quarter from win today? It was a smoke show. The cruise lines are roaring as there's really a dearth of ships and a plethora of younger people who've discovered the cruises and they make great ga- uh, backgrounds for, yes, the, in- the Instarados. Yes, the Instagram people who can't stop taking pictures. Don't rule out a Thor Industries because RVs are red hot. Again, for the experience, for the selfie. Hey, needless to say, you need Estee Lauder and to make it all work. That stock won't quit. It's those new. It, you know what it is? It's obviously the cameras. I mean, you need Estee Lauder so bad, or you got to, like, give these away and use flip phones. What else? Speaking of surprises, we've been seeing a remarkable resurgence in our machinery, our manufacturing, and our commodity and resource companies. We tend to see only Caterpillar and Boeing as the stars here. Wrong. We have so many cycles going on, it's hard to catch them all. So here they are. Write them down. First, we have discovered so much oil and gas in the last few years that under the protection of the umbrella pricing uh, 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 from uh, OPEC and the shutdown of Venezuela, well, as a major producer, it's allowed for a dramatic expansion in the Permian Basin in Texas, by the way, also New Mexico now, as well as in the southeast, where oil and gas gets refined or shipped overseas. This expansion explains a lot of what's going on right now at Halliburton that we saw today and Schlumberger that we saw Friday. We went from being in a deficit with natural gas to being the cheapest and world's largest cost producer. Can you believe that? We're the lowest cost producer. And that has triggered a building boom for the chemical industry as they use this stuff as their main feedstock. We are on pace to consistently top almost every country on Earth when it comes to oil and gas production. The actual building of factories and pipelines and shipping terminals is beyond comprehension, people, and it's often overlooked. We can't get our arms around it because we can't get our heads. It's never happened. In terms of stocks, the move isn't particularly, is not particularly broad-based, at least not yet. We're only seeing the refiners surface as winners. Look at those stocks. But the nascent moves in the growth independent producers, which continue today, and even, holy cow, the master limited partnerships, energy transfer going above 20, the possibilities here are endless. I think the potential is so enormous that it is still worth getting some exposure. Meanwhile, the, le- the need for more horsepower in every form you can get, it's Cummins, it's Caterpillar, it's Eaton, it's Parker Hanovan. Unstoppable stories. Second, America's leadership in aerospace is now practically unchallenged. Boeing is just the obvious example. And whenever it comes in, you got to take it. you got to snap some up. Honeywell, charitable trust, United Technologies, all the aerospace component makers refuse to quit because this is a major multi-year, and I'm talking 10-year cycle. What's interesting and uh, frankly sad to note is that if you look at these two cohorts, the natural, the natural investment would be General Electric. Throw in their healthcare equipment business, and you've got exposure to the three most important areas that are in fuego other than finance, and they've got that too. GE is one of only a handful, I mean literally a handful of companies with balance sheets decked by too much high-cost acquisition, ridiculous asset stewardship, endless buybacks that were irresponsible. You get the picture. Someone should have stopped the previous management from going on that rampage of capital destruction. I don't think it's too late to save the company. They've got a lot of tailwinds, but they need more money. Dividends too big. Sell more assets. Give them the strength in oil service, aerospace, engines, power equipment. You think GE could be the greatest stock on earth, but this company cannot be given the benefit of the doubt yet. 
because we don't know about its balance sheet. I count three stocks in the S&P 500 that have balance sheets as bad as GE. That's 496 that are better. A couple of standout smaller groups keep getting attention thanks to the scarcity factor and the Republican control of, Cong- of Washington. There's an endless game of leapfrog in the defense sector. Raytheon, the Northrop Grumman, the General Dynamics, the Lockheed Martin, and who's ever the biggest winner in a given week, it is round and round she goes. Look at Latos, L3, and Harris. Finally, there's a cohort that benefits directly from in any expansion of the workforce. And there, let's not overthink it. It's ADP. It's Cintas. Remember, I told you that combination was great. That's uniforms. It's manpower. These stocks go hand in hand with an economic expansion, which is why they will not quit. Here's the certainty. If you own a stock that's not covered by one of these themes, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You run the risk of some pretty severe underperformance. You know what? There are only a handful of stocks like PepsiCo, which hit a huge all-time high today, or Tyson, or Colgate, which reports on Friday. We've got to find out what's going on there. Also, if you use typical S&P 500 weightings and are not in the strongest stocks in these winning cohorts, you hedge fund managers out there, you will lose. Here's the good news, though. We are getting lots of mini rotations and sell-offs. They happen every day. Bottom line, you've just been given the only guide you need to pick among the winners for the best choices. Don't let the astounding nature of this rally blind you. It's very much for real. And it's based on the fundamentals. And they're spectacular, which has only gotten even stronger now that tax reform is finally kicking in. Ah. Jeff in New York. Jeff. Okay. Go Eagles! <laughs> go Eagles! Like, go, go Birds! Um, All right. I tried to restrain myself this show. It's very difficult. Okay. I'm Long Mohawk. It's been a good performer. Uh, I bought it because of the strength in the housing market, natural disaster rebuilding. It has good growth. It has a strong chart. Uh, however, I'm wondering how the margins are going to fare by commodity inflation. Is this a big concern? Can I am not concerned. I think I did a lot of work on Moloch this weekend, and you and your boy are in the right spot. That you're the only play on carpet. The stock is pulled back. It's time to buy. Okay. Don't underestimate how much the world, according to the market, has changed. There's a whole different group of leaders, and now you have the guy to pick the winners. And it's not just all fang. Stick with Kramer. Oh, I'm liking this one. I'm liking it. An environment where the consumers come back from the dead. We know that. We need to start caring about branding and opportunities to win to win in business again. We know people are spending money. We just need to figure out where that money's going to gravitate and who will profit from it. Maybe you. And that's why I am so glad that we've got a chance to check in with Damon John, the entrepreneur. He's the fashion czar. He's best-selling author, you know, as the founder and CEO of FUBU, F-U-B-U, not to mention being one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. This, this is it, okay? This is Rise and Grind. And I got to tell you, this comes out tomorrow. You should read it as soon as it comes out, because it's about what we preach on Mad Money. There's no one who understands branding. There's no one who understands small business. Perhaps most important, there's no one who understands hard work and achievement and what it takes for that matter. And those traits are exactly what we need to get our heads around right now. That is why I'm so excited to have Damon John on Mad Money. You have taught love us you, so much. You have taught us so much. I've learned so and much from you. No, no, and you're just going to teach a whole new group of people what grind stands right. for. G R I N D. What the grind is. 
We got get on it. Yep. We got repeat. You got to repeat. We got to insist. Insist. We have to navigate. Navigate through the challenge. We're all going to fail. And give me the three Ds. Drive, desire, and discipline. You have to have those. Now, are those things that necessarily you can say, I don't have them, I'll never have them? Are they things that you can do even if you don't? You can do it, and this is whether it's big executives or it's the everyday mom and pop, you can do it. Let me ask you something. Sure. What, what are the first things you do for the first 90 minutes of your day? Because, well, uh, you know, we can all learn. I don't know how you do it, okay, so I, I want to know. I hit the gym at quarter four. Boom. Uh, I like to be able to hit it hard. Quarter uh, four? For, yeah, hour and a half trainer. Bang. Comes in, get my worst part of my day. She just beats the heck out of me. Yep. Okay, then I bang out a piece. Then I get to the city, I bang out another article. Okay, bang. and then I, I have a very quick, just deep dive for, uh, for a squawk on the street. Mm-hmm. I come back, I write another piece. We meet with the staff. Then I have a lunch with the CEO because I want to know what the heck's going on. I come back, we finish this show. This show's finished. At 6, we start the next one. Wow. Look is that, that right? Is that, that enough? That, is that DDD? That is it. That is okay. it. I'll show you why. Because here's why I wrote the book, Rise and Grind. Because it got to the point where I have all these Shark Tank companies. I have a two-year-old. I have a football business. I have, you know, a life. What am I going to do? And I started to reach out to people such as you to right. say, how do I maximize my day and what to do? I, we keep hearing about hard work, hard work, hard right. work. But that's like telling, um, you know, you want to be a basketball player like Michael Jordan? Go and practice. That's great. But I want to know what's his method of operation. What does he do every single minute to make himself stronger, jump higher, whatever the case is? And I studied 15 people like you and like I who are wildly successful, from Catherine Zeta-Jones to a man who climbed Mount uh, Kilimanjaro right. with no arms and no legs. And I want to know what did they do every single minute of the day. And they did exactly like, like you. They're selfish, just like you. They're selfish in a way that they got up in the morning. They didn't answer any emails. They just they look at their inbox as defense. They're outbox like offense. So whether they were writing a piece or sending it out, right. they weren't answering the rest of the world's problems. They were sending it out. They took care of their adrenaline and their health first. Not eating a big sandwich okay. in the beginning. Okay. See, this is interesting because you know who has that same view? The Dalai Lama. Exactly. Isn't that incredible? One's health and happiness, and then you can do greatness. You are describing an age-old thesis that has been lost. Why is this lost? You know why? Because we've given up our power to everybody. We wake up in the morning, answer a million emails with everybody's problems. Look on social media. Everybody's doing better than us. Get and talk to the kids for a second. I'll talk to you later. And you never see your kids because you didn't schedule them on a list to be with your family. You scheduled to be in meetings and get on the subway and the train. You never scheduled them, right? Then you get in the car. You listen to the radio. The whole world blew up last night, so you're already worried about that. Then you get to the office, and you're doing what the boss wants or what you want your employees to do. You're not taking time for yourself, banging the gym really hard, doing pieces where you're going to give information and you're on the office. We're teachers like you, like on Shark Tank, like in this book, and teachers need lesson plans, and that's where you have to develop. Yeah, and this is what I want to give, because everybody says, you know, you got to work hard, but I want to know what is the minute-by-minute-by-minute-by-minute action. Also, the goals you're going to set. You know how many people start off in the day and they think about what everybody else wants, but they forget what they wanted to be in life? Yes, yes. And this is not hard. You know why? Because your people who watch you, you take away lessons. This is why I love the show, because I know that a device, a diversify my portfolio was the only way that I get a free lunch, right? I know that I got to take some <laughs> off the table so that I'm working with the house's money, right? <laughs> you have yes. to have a discipline, yes. right? And if you do this discipline and you repeat it often through your life, you're going to be successful. Now, how during that whole uh, kind of really in the now analysis yeah. do we find time to see what the trends are? 
and be able to capitalize well, on that's it. the offense, right? That is when you Tell are. Tell me the offense. That is when the offense That's when you're doing your research. That's okay. when you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. You know, let me ask something. Sure. You remember? I'll just years? he's telling me one minute. I'm telling him no. I love Kareem, but sorry, Kareem wrong. You know, okay. ten minutes, ten years ago, did you walk around and open up your mail all during the day? No. Then why do you do that now? You open up your mail from four o'clock to five o'clock. Your emails are six to nine. Everything needs to be disciplined. And I, you know how I started to read this book? I started doing this book because I studied people who were taking care of their health. I realized I wasn't taking care of mine. And I started, I started, as soon as I started doing that, I found out I had stage 2 cancer in my thyroid. No. And I got it taken out. And that's why I'm healthy and I'm here. Oh, because of the damn, discipline damn. like that of taking care of my health. Okay, so in the seconds we have left, Cream, I'm going to give the... Yeah. No, you're not done. I need this. No, I'm getting ready this. to you shoot told us. You told us Apple was cool. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it still is. You told us that certain things were cool yeah. that we didn't know about. Yeah. I need to know. Just give me one thing, not a stock. Something that is that you know is hot that I think it doesn't even exist yet. Ooh. Oh. Can we go it, back? You're in Shark Tank. Whatever you want. Well, it's whatever is a Apparel and business. It's whatever is a subscription model that is going direct to the customer and cutting out all advertisers and other compete, um, competitors. So who is a subscription model? Well, I mean, I think that the big subscription models uh, is Netflix. It is Netflix. It's, it's, it's when you Comcast. hit that. It, it's, it's when you hit that button on your, uh, you know, on your washing machine and yes. get the delivery of the detergent right to you. It's Amazon, right? Because now nobody's advertising, right? And by a creature of habit, you're hitting that button, and, I, right. and you're selling full margin, and you know who your customer is, and you don't have to p- depend on everybody else. You've got it. Okay, the book is Rise and Grind, and I've got to tell you, I've read them. I've read these books. These people can be you. These are not people who were born with anything Absolutely. other right. than actually things they that were all tougher were born than you with have. Zero. Zero. Determination. Discipline. Health, work. I love you. Okay. That's Damon John. And you know him as Shark Tank. I know him as the inspiration. Best-selling author, Rise and Grind. It is time. It's time for a special Eagles bus lightning round. And I'll tell you what, my mother, my son's going to be going to sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Don and Matthews. Don! Hi, Jim. How you doing? Great. How about you? Good, thanks. Uh, my stock is Cloudera, and it's CLDR. No, no, we're not going to go with that one. We're going to go with Splunk. We're going to Rich in Florida. Rich. Booyah, Jimmy, baby. First time caller, long time listener. Calling you today about Teradyne. Yes, but this is semi-factor manufacturing equipment testing. Ah. I've got to tell you, I like Lamb Research. They report later this week. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Jim. Jack. I'm a long-time holder of Southern Electric. Well, that's a shame. Southern's just okay. I prefer American Electric Power or Dominion. Both are better. Let's go to Dennis and Kyle. Cal- oh, no. That, that is, wow. That is the end of the special Eagles extravaganza lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Normally, when you have an outrageously positive beast of a bull like we've got, it triggers a flood of initial public offerings. When stocks are on fire, bankers become eager to launch IPOs, furiously adding to the supply of stock, or merchandise, as we call it, to sate the beast. Not this time, though. This time, we've hardly had any IPOs. And the reason? Because when we do get deals, they annihilate the investors who go into them in spectacular fashion, mostly thanks to a lot of merchandise that's so horrendous as to be almost insulting. 
The latest insult, the IPO of a company that was not so hot the last time it was publicly traded. I'm talking about ADT, the maker of security systems. Get this. ADT was looking to sell 111 million shares at between $17 to $19 a share last week, but they couldn't swing it. Instead, the deal priced to $14, and they sold only 105 million shares. After it started trading, the stock immediately broke down, opening at $12.65. Everybody's got a loss. Then it dropped another percent. Today, we got even more pain. ADT down 7.5%. I remember this company in its previous incarnation when it was public, and the issue was always churn, as there's just too much competition in the home security space. If anything, now it's much worse. The automated home is here, and security is going to be included in that. I think this is an Internet of Things play, meaning a company that's totally vulnerable to the smart home in a way that would have seemed unimaginable even a year ago, just two years ago. So this fresh-faced IPO gets clobbered, and the bankers become even more reluctant to underwrite new deals. Fortunately, ADT is not as bad as Blue Apron, the online food delivery service. Blue Apron came public at 10 in June, went to 11, then plunged 72%. As it turned out, the business was under siege. Turns out also there's nothing proprietary about selling people food, and now it's under siege from its imitators. Still, after this ADT Black Mirror adventure of an offering, all I can say is, that if this is the only stock they can create and coin here, then they won't flood us with stock. And we could be stock supply constrained for the duration. Bull market one, banker zero. Stick with Kramer. Thank you, Philadelphia Eagles. I like to say there's always more work in summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here, man, buddy. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.